Welcome back to Who Do You Think You Are, a podcast about imposter syndrome out of the Emory University Department of Chemistry. I'm your host, Sam Horowitz. Over the past few episodes, I've interviewed other graduate students at Emory about their experiences with imposter syndrome. A common thread has run through these conversations, as well as the ones I had with Drs. Heemstra, Davis, and Whitehead Labu. Everyone experiences imposter syndrome. But do we all experience it in the same way? In this last episode of our series on imposter syndrome, I'll speak with someone who's able to answer that question, Tamara Blue, a fourth-year graduate student who works in the same lab as me. Outside of lab, Tamara researches something called stereotype threat, which she does a much better job of defining during the interview than I ever could, but essentially, it's a special flavor of imposter syndrome that affects people who are members of underrepresented groups in their field. Now, you'll probably notice that this interview doesn't sound like a recorded Zoom meeting like all of the others. That's because it's not. Tamara and I were able to conduct this interview safely in person, and so you'll probably also notice a different energy in this episode. More laid back, more conversational. Now, we all know how terrible Zoom meetings can be, but I don't think I ever fully realized it until I had to conduct Zoom interviews. The audio cutting, buffering, and just general awkwardness of it all became magnified. But after interviewing Tamara, I realized something. The entire time when I'd cringingly listened back to these Zoom interviews, I blamed myself for the awkwardness. I'd think things like, why did I make that response? That was so stupid. Or, God, that silence is glaring. Why couldn't I have thought of something to say? But that awkwardness, it wasn't my fault. Or, At least not all of it was my fault. A lot of it just had to do with the issues that come with using Zoom. So while I was sitting there berating myself for being an imposter of a podcast producer producing a podcast about imposter syndrome, I was too far zoomed in to see the whole picture. I think this, this is the exact reason that talking to others helps so much when you're struggling with imposter syndrome or stereotype threat or really any form of systematic self-doubt. Often, we see ourselves as an unbiased main character in a story told in first person. But if instead, we observe ourselves as others do, even with others, we can see the context. We can understand that everyone messes up sometimes. Everyone needs help. And nobody is an expert in everything. My name is Tamara Blue. Um, I'm a PhD candidate inside of the Davis Lab uh, here in Emory. So that's Catherine Davis, not not Hugh. Uh, just to be clear, I don't do orgo. I do biomolecular chemistry and occasional computational chemistry and occasional, a lot. I wear a lot of hats, chemistry. <laughs> I also have a odd passion for teaching, chem ed, and just looking at how people understand chemistry and things that may impact people understanding chemistry, uh, especially things that may keep people like me, people like Sam, uh, women and people of color outside of chemistry, just looking at those factors. That second part of your introduction is really why I asked you here today. Uh, So Tamara works in my lab and we share an office. And for the past about year or so, I've been watching her work on this really exceptional project that is exploring something called stereotype threat, which has been really inspiring and definitely is, I would 
be remiss if I didn't say part of the reason why I think I wanted to explore imposter syndrome in general for this podcast. Really? Yes. Oh my god. I need royalties. I need money. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need money. <laughs> Can I get you paid for sure. I mean if I if I make money from this, I will definitely Deal. throw some royalties your way. I'll take a few pennies. But but yeah, so I was wondering if you could define stereotype threat. So I, I do want to, if I'm going to define stereotype threat, I should say an exact quote and then probably give like a layman's term yeah, version. Yeah, perfect. So uh, according to Steele, who's one of the big, big figures of stereotype threat, stereotype threat is defined as a socially premised psychological threat that arises with when one is in a situation or doing something for which a negative stereotype about one's group applies. Okay? So what does that mean? <laughs> stereotype threat, there are people inside of our world who have been stereotyped historically okay? black people there's a common stereotype hopefully not common now but there was a very common stereotype that black people are just less intelligent there you go uh that hispanic people are less intelligent that women are less intelligent uh and so women people of color people of other races uh particularly have these negative stereotypes towards them and these negative stereotypes uh have an effect and so that that's stereotype threat stereotype threat is when these people people of color women things of that nature stereotype people groups are in situations where their stereotype comes to play for example we're in a chemistry program inside of the chemistry program there's my stereotype threat constantly right i'm black and i'm a woman yay uh, so it's really just like okay my stereotype threat could be that one i believe other people around me think i'm less intelligent according to a uh, vincent and massey paper that would be defined as a externalized stereotype threat externalized meaning external factors are making me feel like my stere my negative stereotypes are are being displayed so my class thinks i'm stupid right and then there's also that internalized stereotype threat, uh, which they define as solely internal, which I feel like is kind of our connection in terms of stereotype threat to imposter syndrome, right? right. Because it's that, that internalized feeling that, oh my gosh, my people group, people think my people group aren't smart. What if I fail this class? I'm going to prove them right. Mm -hmm. And so students go through a series of uh, studies have actually shown self-sabotaging effects, right? So what some students will do is they will purposely not study for a test. <laughs> They'll purposely stop studying for a test so that if they were to fail the test, it's not because my people group is less intelligent. It's because I didn't study. And so in a way, they're trying to fight against stereotype threat, but in a way that's damaging their careers or their educational aspirations. People come, I'm going to stick with chemistry because, I mean, we're both chemists. Mm -hmm. People come to chemistry programs wanting to be doctors, wanting to fight cancer, wanting to teach the next generation. What, whatever they came here for, they came here for a reason. And what we see historically is that women and people of color slowly dwindle away. And stereotype threat is one of those causes or potentially one of those reasons. Right. Come on down to the cookout and meet Nobuche. Here we're all about black excellence, community building, and social events. We like to celebrate the small things in a big way. Come join us for our end of year celebration, grant prep workshop, and game nights in between. Nobuche 
National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers, welcomes you. If you're interested in more information, visit our organization hub page at emory.campuslabs.com forward slash engage and search for Nobuchet. Look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, definitely. I think you touched on some really important things there. Um, I think especially that that self-sabotage idea, because I think there's little things that we all probably do that sabotage our day-to-day work in the lab or in school. But when it's because of a fear of failure, you know, that's when it becomes something that's like, I don't know, a lot more concerning. And it's, it's really like the opposite of what you want to be doing if you're scared to fail. And I don't know, it's some kind of like cognitive dissonance that we put up our own gates. But I think based on what you said here, that it seems like the difference between imposter syndrome and stereotype threat is who puts up the gates, you know? So if, if I put up gates in my mind just because I personally don't believe that I'm a good chemist based on who knows why I think that, but it's not because I'm a woman. It's not because of my people group. It's just internal from me versus stereotype threat. It's like society has taught you that your people group should be seen in a certain way. I think that's that's definitely it. Um, but it's, it's, it's not like they're mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. Right. So, like, you can experience stereotype threat and you can experience imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? It's, it could be because of your stereotypes that you then think you're unworthy. But by definition, they're, they're two separate things, right? right? Where imposter syndrome is, regardless of your accomplishments, the evidence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there, there was a study that was done with over 100 successful women, right? And in the study, they're, they're already successful. All of them have either reached the peak of their career or, or have won numerous awards. But you see these women have gone through imposter syndrome, right? They won these awards and then they think internally, I shouldn't have won it, you know, or, oh, I just got lucky. Mm-hmm. That's imposter syndrome, right? But the stereotype threat could be why they're feeling the imposter syndrome. Gotcha. See what I'm saying? But even still, white men can experience imposter syndrome. So that does mean, well, there are stereotypes towards white men as well. That's, let's, <laughs> let, let me stop myself. There, there, are, there are stereotypes, but in terms of intelligence, the stereotypes have been more so projected at people of color, to clarify. Right. But there are white men who have been society classified as the top, right? Who go through imposter syndrome, but it could be caused for any other factor. They could be going through imposter syndrome because when they were in the third grade, their teacher said, you'll never amount to anything. And it just stuck with them until then. Imposter syndrome can be caused from like almost anything, Mm -hmm. right? But stereotype threat specifically is because of the negative stereotypes on your people group at large. It's like a branch. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A branch of toxicity. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Branch of toxicity. But yeah, no, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, what you said there, it's kind of like a not all rectangles are squares, but all squares are rectangles kind of a deal. Kind of situation, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about your work specifically with stereotype threat than what you've done here at Emory uh, studying the, its manifestations in the chemistry community here. So um, I have had the lovely opportunity of being able to work uh, with the Advanced Graduate Student Teaching Fellowship, one that's offered as a, a fellowship that allows you to do a TAR project, uh, which is a teaching as research project. And my ChemMed project was actually inspired by a Spectrum program, which was involving implicit bias. They had the bias adjuster come. 
And the bias adjuster started talking about this implicit bias test, right? This AIT, so implicit association test by definition is what that's called. And I, I started thinking about it because what an implicit bias test does, it allows you to peek into what's going on inside of a person. Some things that they don't even know are going on, right? So there are explicit, explicit things such as like, I, oh, I hate lima beans. I, I really do. I, I hate the flavor. I hate the texture. I don't like the color either. I hate lima beans. Dang. Right? That's explicit. I want you to know. <laughs> the world knows. But there's also that implicit bias, right? There are the things that even you yourself don't know. Uh, there's a study by Greenwald. Okay? It's a classic study. And what they've done is using the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. Um, it's a website anybody can go to. And they have an AIT there that is black versus white. Okay, That's just what it's called. What they found through that study, when you have black versus white, and then you try to make a connection between those two racial groups and good versus bad. So how well are you able to associate black and good versus white and good and black and bad versus white and bad? And what they found is that for society at large, they are much better at associating white and good than black and good. So what that would mean is they have a bias in favor of white people. But does that mean all these people are racist? Mm -hmm. it's, it, it doesn't mean that. It, it means that maybe the, the majority of people have seen how television is. Right. Television until recently has only shown white people as the superheroes, you know, right. that that white male action figure, you know, like, ah, oh, Tom Cruise, I'm going to save the day. <laughs> Bruce Willis, oh, Liam Neeson, pew, 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 right. <laughs> like violence, action, masculinity. Right. Yeah. That's that's what they've shown as good. They're the heroes of the story. And he was usually the stupid sidekick or the. The guy that just makes jokes, like, but really wasn't helpful. Black guy, you know? Or occasionally they have, like, the black guy of wisdom, you know, the old black janitor who's, like, never made it anywhere, but he's wise. That's how you see black people, you yeah. know? Until recently, of course, thank goodness. <laughs> but is it, their, is it the people's fault? No, it's not their fault. If that's the only way you've seen black people and white people portrayed, white people portrayed as good and black people portrayed as bad, then it just is what it is. But it's good to know because then we can start counteracting these things. Um, implicit bias has been used in terms of police training, right? You find police officers, you find where their biases are like. It's very dangerous for a police officer to have an internal bias towards one people group or another. Mm -hmm. Because unconsciously, you think black people are bad, which means unconsciously, you're going to be less lenient with them because you're more likely to see them as criminals. You're more likely to see them as bad, gross, ugly. These are some of the words they actually used um, inside of the study. So implicit bias is well known, well studied. And so my passion from it came from hearing that because just like you, it's, this is awful. Yeah. It's actually awful. But at the same time, it's data. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of beautiful. It's kind of, it's kind of sexy, right? <laughs> like I, I can use data to see what's going on, just a peek into someone's mind. And so for my TAR project, I wanted to tackle a problem that, I, I mean, that I have, which is why are there almost no black people in my, in my graduate school program, mm -hmm. right? That, that's how it started. Because back then, I mean, there really weren't. 
why is it that people of color don't make it through chemistry? And this is at the undergraduate level. So forget, forget the graduate level. Why at the undergraduate level do black people not make it all the way through? Mm -hmm. What is going on? Um, and this, this is commonly known as a leaky pipeline in chemistry. So where's this leak coming from? And so I had a theory. My theory and my TAR project were surrounded by the idea that what if the university has done a lot, right? The university has tried to make programs that make people of color feel accepted. They've removed GRE, you know, for um, our level. They've tried to remove standardized testing because, I mean, I'm a smidge racist. Just going to put that out there. Just a um, smidge, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, they've tried to remove all these things. And try to just make it a more beautiful or accepting environment. My project wanted to look away from what the university was doing. And it wanted to look at the students as individual people. Okay? Is it possible, very much possible, that in chemistry, we have students who have heard these stereotypes, right? And are suffering from internalized stereotype threat, i.e. They're, they're scared, right? Mm -hmm. They're scared that if they fail the class, if they'll, they'll prove someone right about their race or people group. It's, it's a common phrase I love to use, but they feel like they're carrying the weight of the entire black community on their back. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, is it heavy. Oh, it's heavy. And maybe it's just so heavy that sometimes our students self-sabotage themselves. Or maybe it's so heavy that our students burn out trying to carry it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see, could I detect that? Could I detect internalized stereotype threat through a custom IET? And if I could detect it, could I, could I compare students who have internalized stereotype threat versus do not have internalized stereotype threat? So that, that was my project and I was able to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I will be hopefully presenting that data at uh, CIRMAX this year. Hopefully, we'll see how that goes. Cool. Um, and hopefully, uh, continuing that project, getting more results on it. As of right now, the population size is much too small to draw any firm conclusions. Mm -hmm. But based on what we do have, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. To to be completely honest, it, it's kind of terrifying. On average, minority students are performing lower. Just on average, I and mean, of course, there's there's always plus or minus. There's always an an error, but. Mm -hmm. On average, minority students are performing lower. Women are performing lower. And we know that this, this thought process that women aren't smart and that black people aren't smart, not true. Right. So that points us to, okay, something's going on here that we need to address. We can't say that we have the best stock room of any chemistry department in the country, but, well, I think we have the best stock room. Why? Because our stockroom is an independent stockroom, working with multiple suppliers to fulfill the needs of our many research labs. From test tubes to solvents, lab notebooks to cleaning supplies, the stockroom has everything. And if they don't have it, they can help order it. Best of all, the stockroom is like chemistry's community center. Steve, our amazing stockroom manager, offers coffee during the week and donuts on Fridays. That's right, a free donut just because Steve cares about us. That's it, I'm calling it. Best stockroom in the country. In the world. Um, and, and that was my project. And I hope to just collect more data and just be able to point to more conclusive causes and possibly even be able to do interventions. Right. Um, just to... 
I don't know, maybe help some of these kids out. Yeah. Maybe take some weight off their shoulders. I, I guess that's that's kind of the direction I wanted to, to go with this conversation is, you know, I've been talking to a lot of graduate students and experts on imposter syndrome and just generally people who work in academia about what we can do to prevent imposter syndrome becoming such a, like, vice over people's ability to perform and their ability to succeed. And I think a common thread that I've noticed throughout everybody's answers is talking about it helps. Being open with other people and realizing like, oh, dang, I'm not the only person who feels like I'm completely incapable of doing anything sometimes really helps. Do you think that that would help in the same way students who are suffering from specifically stereotype threat? Well, studies have actually shown that. Oh, yeah. So making a student aware of stereotype threat has greatly benefited them. So just so that they are aware of their behaviors and how it could be toxic and having them self-evaluate their emotions and their feelings and having them just speak about it, that, that has been studied and it does benefit students. Just, just the bare minimum, letting them know that, hey, we know your stereotypes exist. We know you're suffering. Here's what it is called. Mm-hmm. You're not alone. It's been well-tracked. It's been well-studied. But I do believe that can't be it. Right. Like, you, you can't, we can't just stop there. All of this isn't just, you know, it's not just in their head, you know? Right. And that's something I was actually kind of scared about when talking about my study, that people would hear it and they'd just say, oh, well, the university needs to just stop. Universities stop. It's all in their head. It's all internalized stereotype threat, right? Mm-hmm. Or even imposter syndrome, right? It's all in their head. We can't help women in science. It's all in their head. We shouldn't try to make them feel more accepted because there's nothing we can do. In actuality, I think that while we are helping people deal with their internalized trauma caused by the system, because that's what it is, it is trauma, societal trauma, and people are trying to cope with that trauma by themselves, and they don't know that how they're coping with it, just like how people take drugs or drink Mm -hmm. alcohol to cope. They don't know that they're doing detrimental harm to themselves, and by the time that they find out that they're an addict, too late. Right. They've already dropped out. And now we've lost an incredible mind. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. And so I think while we are helping them overcome their trauma, we also need to fix the system that caused it. That's the only way more kids won't become traumatized. We can't keep slapping a Band-Aid on this. Keep fixing the system. Keep working. Keep working. But also accept that when you make a small change, it won't just fix it automatically. And I feel like that's always the pressure um, as being a black student here at Emory or honestly anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. The university does a very good job at at trying. There are programs. There are there are organizations. There's even CAPS. CAPS has a black graduate student support group. And it's great. And it's an amazing environment. But it doesn't fix things overnight. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure like that to just be okay. Yeah. The university's done so much. Why aren't you okay yet? Well, it's trauma. And that's why I wanted to do my study, because I wanted to raise awareness for that trauma, that the stereotypes and the things we've gone through doesn't just go away because you've just started to realize that it's affecting us and that you've just started to make programming. While we are grateful, it still sucks, man. Yeah. That's that's just reality. 
And it's okay that it sucks and it's okay that it's going to suck for a little bit, but it's not okay to let it keep sucking. <laughs> right. That's not okay. Just be like, we can talk about it sucking. Like, no, <laughs> make it not suck. <laughs> make it not suck. Actively work towards hiring people of color. That's another thing that actually has been proven to work for stereotype threat. When you have a people group, if you have women who don't believe that women should be in chemistry. Mm -hmm. And then magically, I don't know how, you hire a female professor, it challenges their perception. It challenges their internal bias against their own people group. It challenges it. And it helps deter the stereotype threat. And the same thing is for people of color. If they believe that black people can't make it, inside of their head, they're just scared. They're scared. And then they see... Dr. Antonio Rathlet, right? Mm -hmm. They see him and they're just like, wow, he made it. So I can make it, right? Or all these future doctors and chemists that are coming out here. Who knows? Dr. Tamara Blue, one day. <laughs> Dr. Tamara Blue for president? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I'd vote for you. Please don't vote for me. <laughs> Please don't vote for me. No, no. Listen, oh. don't let your imposter syndrome talk you out of being president. It's not imposter syndrome. It's severe laziness. <laughs> I do not want to run a country. It just seems stressful. Did you see Obama? Obama came in spry and he left with gray hair. My goodness. It's going to be us after grad school, though. Too. I'm still hanging on. I don't have gray hairs yet. I'm hanging on. But that's 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 my study, you know? Yeah. And I know I got long-winded. I'm turning into a grandma. See, I'll fight the gray hair, but I can't fight the personality. But that, that's the study. And yeah. That's why I think it's important to keep studying it and why I think Kim Ed is so important as well. Um, also about the Advanced Graduate Student Fellowship uh, that was actually run by Megan Cole inside of the biology department and Dr. Tracy McGill inside of the chemistry department. So you should definitely reach out to them if you're interested in that, if you're interested in teaching or honestly getting to know <laughs> what's going on in your department through interesting research projects. They're very, very accepting of ideas and they're very open to whatever you're passionate about so i would really recommend you know reaching out to them if you know you just want to get into research in a in a less chemically way <laughs> chemically love it chemically. <laughs> yeah no and you know i i don't think you were any kind of long-winded that you said anything that we didn't need to hear honestly that uh <laughs> i think your your project is very compelling concerning and compelling. <laughs> compelling oh yeah we got concerned. all the big words on this podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um but yeah so i uh, i really appreciate you going into such detail about what brought you to that study and and what you've discovered throughout it and i really just appreciate your input in general about this really important topic and for taking the time to to talk with me today but before we go you know we both work in the same lab we have the same boss we should probably <laughs> do some Who's some really science. Nice. He's really, really nice. Really and, nice. And very supportive to allow yeah. us to do this. Yeah, go Kate. You're, you're the best if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but um, so before we go, though, I did want to ask, is there anything that you think we didn't touch on today that you think is really important to discuss with respect to stereotype threat or imposter syndrome or really anything with respect, I guess, to chemical education? Really? Uh, something that I didn't touch on. I think my, my long rant covered most of it. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess one thing is just Kim Ed, I feel, is often not respected by, you know, traditional scientists, mm -hmm. which is fine. Everybody has the right to their opinion. 
but I do feel that studying how students learn is just as important as coming up with new and novel ideas that they can learn. Um, it, it would, it's incredible for the people who've discovered, you know, cures for cancers, who've, well, potential, wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> potential cures for cancers, you know, or targeted um, receptors, things of that nature. I think it's very important. I think it's also important to be able to pass down that knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think it's very impressive what you're doing, Sam, in terms of science communication and just getting that information out there in terms of mental health, but then also in terms of the chemistry community as a whole. Um, Chemet's important. And Definitely. yeah, I, I think it's it's important to actually care about our students just as much as we care about our samples, you know? Oh, that's oh, no. <gasps> Don't awe me. <laughs> no. It's a good awe. That's so, I love how you put that. Yeah. And you know, it's like, who are we keeping out? Like who, who are we keeping out that might've discovered the actual full scale cure for cancer? Actually, yes. You know, if that's we exactly continue, continue down this road um it's like chemistry's a numbers games anyway like mm -hmm. it, okay it's a logical numbers game <laughs> let's be very clear you don't just you know throw things at a dart and good luck but <laughs> oftentimes it's luck yeah you know like things like that it's just like sometimes there's a graduate student who's working too late at night and you thought you were making toilet cleaner and you end up making a mouthwash <laughs> you know like sometimes things happen i don't know yeah, no, definitely. I don't think we should include that. Oh, God. <laughs> no, that's, that's prime podcast content. I don't know what no. you're talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to get canceled. <laughs> Do not put toilet cleaner in your mouth. Yeah. Okay? Do not do that, please. Who Do You Think You Are is a podcast from the Emory University Department of Chemistry. Today's episode was produced, edited, and recorded by Samantha Horwitz, with music that was written and performed by Samantha Horwitz and Dominic Cristiano. Special thanks to Communications and Outreach Manager Kira Walsh. Thank you.